It's time for episode 162 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Thursday, November the 10th, 2016. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast that we deserve. I am your co-host, Jason Snell, and across the internet from me, my guest co-host this week, as Dan Morin is traveling, it's Serenity Caldwell. Hello. Hello, Jason. How are you doing? I like to have somebody on the East Coast as a as a co-host, uh, so you you are uh, slightly north of where Dan usually is, but uh, <laughs> it, you know it's in the vicinity for from California perspective. It's it's the right the right time zone, so that yeah, counts. Sure, exactly right. That's that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for some noon Eastern to go with my nine Pacific. Uh, <laughs> we are as always joined by two wonderful guests to my left, senior editor at Tom's Guide, and of course one of my colleagues for many years at MacWorld. It's Philip Michaels. Hi, Phil. Welcome back. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'll ask the same question I always ask when I appear on Clockwise. Who canceled? <laughs> I actually sought you out this time. So. Yeah, it's true. So it doesn't quite work. No, that's right. Uh, well, and mo- most notably, I will say Phil is still our most visited panelist at 20 episodes now. Wow. I know. Something to aspire to for everyone else, including Serenity, who's at 19. I know. Is this 19 or is this 20? This is 19 for you and 20 for Phil. Darn it, Phil. One step ahead. To my left is our other special guest for today. It's uh, of Mac Power users and free agents fame, Mr. David Sparks. Hello. It's good to have you here, David. Happy to be here. All right. Uh, Four topics, 30 minutes, so we might as well get started. I'll go first. Uh, My question's about keyboards. Uh, Apple just introduced the MacBook Pro with the Touch Bar, which uh, takes a row of function keys and turns them into a software keyboard. I wrote a piece about Mac at Macworld this week about this, too. Like, it's starting to feel like maybe Apple does believe that the ultimate destination of the keyboard is a touch screen. So I wanted to ask you this kind of wacky question. Would you use a laptop with a software keyboard on a touchscreen, and if not, where would you draw the line? What do you look for when you're uh, when you're choosing a keyboard that you like or dislike, Phil? You know, when I I hear I hear the question, my first response was, "Of course not! You're a maniac! Why wouldn't I want a keyboard with my laptop?" And then I remember I had the same. Uh, uh, initial reluctance when the iPhone came out and it's an on-screen keyboard the hell with that but uh, um, I've been using the iPhone ever since and uh, this this past fall at EFA I saw the uh, uh, Lenovo's uh, I believe the yoga book which uh, has a has a touch keyboard as well and it's 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 quite stunning so I I, I would give it a try I'm not sure it would be my first choice because I do like the responsiveness of physical keys. And as a really good touch typist, um, uh, that's a skill that I don't want to uh, ever have to lose. But uh, no, I, I, I can, the, as a guy who clings to the past like, a, like someone washed off at sea, I, I actually embrace our keyboardless future. Yeah, I, I feel very similarly. Um, my, my honest belief is that well, Apple doesn't necessarily want to go into the direction of us reaching out at 90 degree angles to touch our screens on the Mac. I could very easily see a yoga book style Mac of the future that had, you know, Mac OS 10 as its primary screen, but a, a version of a touch keyboard or a touch surface that is specifically designed for touch sen- uh, for, for fingers, basically, and not so that we're moving a cursor around with our finger because that seems ridiculous. Um, 
I think as as Phil said, I agree. It needs to have some sort of haptics behind it. Um, the haptics on the iPhone 7 uh, and 7 Plus have gotten better and better. And I'm really hoping that the reason that we're not seeing haptics on the MacBook Pro with Touch Bar just yet is that they're still kind of working out what is necessary and how that's going to feel and how that, you know, needs to to be responsive for people to actually use it in place of a physical hardware keyboard. But I'm I am all for it as long as they can make the tech work and make it look great outdoors because I really don't want to be squinting at my my virtual keyboard to remember where everything is. I think this really comes down to whether you're a touch typist or not. And uh, for those of us that are touch typists, the idea of giving up a, a keyboard where you don't have to look at it to to reliably put text into your device is a terrible idea. And I would I would hate that. Um, but like, you know, Phil and Ren was saying, it's, I do remember the iPhone and that changed things. And I look at my children and their friends, they're, you know, young adults and teenagers, and none of them are interested in keyboards. They, I begged my kids to learn to type and they, they didn't, you know, they refused the call. So I think going forward, there's going to be a lot of people that don't care about touch typing and for them making a keyboard that can change the input methods and be responsive the way the touch bar is, but on a bigger way, I, I think that may be a good thing. So us old folks may just have to get used to it. I, I'm just waiting to see somebody walk around with one of these and an external keyboard as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think that'll happen. I, I, I'm i also a touch typist. I, I, I realized when Apple announced the touch bar that I never touch type the function keys. I don't know where they are. So looking down, I look down anyway. So the touch bar is not too uh, far to go, but... I think, yeah, if if you throw haptics in the mix and maybe pressure sensitivity, something like 3D Touch, one of the problems with touch screens, if you're not looking at them, is you can't guide by feel because if you touch the screen to feel, you've done input, right? But if it was pressure sensitivity, so uh, it could differentiate between moving your fingers across to find their place based on haptic feedback and then pressing down to do an input, you know, you could emulate a keyboard pretty well. And I, I feel like that is where they're, where they're going. Um, I, I suspect that we'll all, as old people uh be plugging in uh keyboards with key travel and things like that but yeah like david said the next generation um they may not care about traditional computers at all but if they do i think they're not going to care so much about about keyboards um thanks for your input let's move on to topic number two phil what do you have for us sure um as you may or may not know the the google daydream view is is arriving in fact you can read a a very good review of it by my colleague sheree smith on tomsguide.com i had a chance to to test it out when Google unveiled the the Daydream View, and it's uh, it's interesting. The price is right, but uh, right now with the the things that are available at launch, it seems very game focused. So I'm wondering, is there a use for virtual reality beyond games or or entertainment, or is this going to remain kind of stuck in that that uh, uh, consumption uh, niche that we thought that the iPad would be stuck in when it first came out? I think that consumption is a great way to kickstart a product. Uh, which is to say the way that – I mean the the off-told, and it may be fallacious or not, but the, the joke about why VHS prevailed over beta was primarily because the porn industry picked it up. And that kind of an idea that maybe we need consumption, we need, maybe we need games, maybe we need entertainment-based things uh, to get people to get the systems into their house before we start marketing it for business, before we start requiring it for certain areas – I absolutely believe that VR can be very helpful, but I think we're still a few a few years off from it. I I could I like I see more and more of the workforce from moving remote uh, in the last ten years alone, and I think that VR could be a really huge help towards that, especially towards education. 
Um, and any, you know, interacting with virtual coworkers, interacting with, with, uh, fellow students across the globe, learning, you know, learning languages in immersive environments. But, uh, I don't necessarily know if the current V set of like the current generation of VR technology is quite ready for that. So maybe we have to continue experimenting with games and, and videos before we get further on. I do think it's interesting that VR is more of a thing now than it's ever been. We've always been hearing about how it's going to be a thing, but now it actually is a thing. And I agree. I think it's going to be game-centered for a long time. In fact, if they ever come out with a good, realistic uh, Star Wars game where I can just be Obi-Wan wandering around the desert with my lightsaber, that will be the end of me. You'll just say whatever happened to that guy. You know? <laughs> he used to be so productive. Yeah, what happened? <laughs> but but I do think there is a future use for this. Even like I was thinking about what if you could just create your own workspace? You know, what if you plugged into VR and you're in a beautiful Zen garden? And, you know, why not? I mean, if this stuff gets far enough along, I don't know how long it's going to take. But but I feel like there's more to this as we get further down the road and the technology gets better. I think the most important thing about it not being a niche product is going to be uh, having it be accessible to lots of people in lots of contexts. And what that means is taking it away from where it's going to be uh, most used, I think, in the short term, which is on high-end gaming PCs and attached to uh, gaming consoles. And so that's the thing about Daydream in general as a concept that I, I'm excited about is the idea that we've gotten very good at packing a lot of processor power and good displays and lots of sensors into phones. And so phones lead the way in terms of like the pieces that you need to do good VR. And so the Daydream View is like a soft kit to a slide a phone into to do VR. And I think that's what's going to take it out of the realm of the niche is if it's not something you have to buy as an incredibly expensive, uh, complex system that's only going to be for those most committed to things like gaming. And everybody's going to have a smartphone. And if everybody's got a smartphone powerful enough to clip it into something and put it in front of your eyes, and now it's a VR device too, that's what takes it out of a niche. So I think that's, that's what makes me excited about something like Daydream. And with the stuff that Intel and uh, Qualcomm are working on uh, reference designs and, and whatnot, you you could see it where you don't even need a phone at all, though that's likely to be more expensive than, than what we're seeing with the uh, Daydream View. Um, you know, I think you can never go wrong uh, uh, aping what Tim Cook has said, and uh, I'm actually more excited about augmented reality and the, the potential there to, to get beyond the gaming market. I've, I've had uh, the opportunity to try on uh, a HoloLens and a uh, um, a meta uh, AR headset, which is uh, really helpful, and I, I could really see that as a as a good workplace tool for giving yourself a virtual uh, screen to to work on, to have video conferences on, to uh, pull up uh, information and have it all floating before you. Um, I'm I'm not entirely sold on on VR yet uh, beyond the uh, beyond the consumption standpoint, but I think that uh, uh, Ren raises a good point that that's a good way to get the the foot in the door. All right, that's two topics down. We've got two topics more to go. It's halftime. Let me tell you about our halftime sponsor. This episode of Clockwise brought to you by Linode, a combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers spread across eight different data centers around the world. And that makes Linode a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. You can get a server up and running in less than a minute and plans start at just $10 a month, which will now get you two gigabytes of RAM on your server. You can choose your resources, choose your Linux distro, choose your node location, all from the easy-to-use web-based manager tool 
tool and you can deploy, boot, and resize your virtual server with just a few clicks. And if you need help, don't worry. They have a 24-7 support team that is taking care of the more than 400,000 customers at Linode. They're open over the holidays, which are coming up now. Something to know if you have a problem on uh, New Year's Eve, somebody will be there to help you. Linode's also really committed to improving their infrastructure. They made a switch recently that uh, improved their Unix benchmark scores by 300%. I think all I had to do was reboot my server and suddenly it was better. It's pretty awesome. Linode is the full package for your server infrastructure needs. They've got the power you require and the infrastructure and assistance you want. And as a listener to Clockwise, you can sign up at linode.com slash clockwise. You'll support us and also get $20 toward any Linode plan. And there's a seven day money back guarantee. So there's nothing to lose. Go to linode.com slash clockwise. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash clockwise to learn more, sign up, take advantage of that $20 credit, or just use the promo code clockwise20 when you're checking out. Thank you to Linode for supporting Clockwise. And now halftime's over. So Serenity, do favor us with your topic. Well, my topic, uh, as we know, there was an election this week. And while I am not going to talk about the election or its results, I will note a um, an interesting thing that I woke up to this morning on the App Store, just looking at trending apps. And the trending apps included things like Signal and VPNs, um, as well as Postmates. Uh, so I'm developing a really interesting <laughs> picture of like this this bunker. But no, my my question is legitimate. Do do we as um, educated consumers and do consumers in general, um, is is this the time where we really want to start actively thinking about protecting our our average communications? Uh, iMessage, of course, for Apple users is encrypted. But if you're talking to somebody on an Android or a Windows phone, uh, that is less so if you're not using a, an app like Signal. And what are the, the pros and cons of using something like Signal or using a, a VPN? Is that is that something that everybody has to know about now? I am. Um... A recurring theme at Max Sparky is the idea of the erosion of privacy rights, and I really feel strongly about it. I, you know, I, I maybe this is another old guy question, but I believe we should have a right to private communications, and the idea that that we should just accept that the things we we communicate to other people is open to um, government or others to just you know easily read is a problem. So. Uh, I'm trying not to be the tinfoil hat guy, but I'm starting to feel like a tinfoil hat guy. Um, so I am definitely making decisions about what vendors and services I use based on how they treat their consumer privacy. And I think it's something that we should be concerned about. Just to take it a little broader, this is not a new story. The uh, After 9-11, you know, the Bush administration began, uh, armed with the Patriot Act, a uh, uh, much more systematic gathering of information uh, in the United States. The Obama administration has stepped that up even further. So this is not necessarily about a single administration. This is about the U.S. government uh, being fairly aggressive in looking at our information online and not necessarily um, with the kinds of processes that you would hope would exist. And as a result, I think it's already true. I mean, great, this is a wake-up call for people who think that uh, the Trump administration is going to do even more here or change their policies, and they may well do that. But I think this is good advice regardless, which is, yeah, be aware of what you're sending in the clear. Use a VPN to encrypt all your traffic. Uh, use Signal or some other encrypted message system. These are all things that you should consider, at least about your key data and your 
key communications. So I think it's not, um, I think it's actually not new, but it could be a wake up call for some people that, um, that this has already been going on and it may get worse. It may not change, but you should all be aware of it. And I certainly think that, uh, for those of us who review products for a living, this is going to be something in the next few years that we're going to have to look at more than, uh, more than we we do right now, uh, not and this isn't just uh, 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 with smartphones. It's also with the the Internet of Things and with the connected home. Uh, privacy uh, should be uh, one of the the features that we we consider uh, as much as we consider price and durability and feature set. Privacy is a feature, um, and yeah, as a I I I recently visited a country where the only uh, way you can really do stuff online is having a a, a VPN client on your on your phone. So yes, I I definitely see a lot more of this happening. Yeah, I th- this is a topic that I find very interesting because um, as you mentioned, Jason, it has you know this is not a new topic. I just think it's something that comes to prominence every time we we see elections and and things where people worry about the degradation of our privacy. Um, and I think the big challenge to the tech world in general is finding a way to make this stuff palpable to the average user. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I think all of us are above average, pretty savvy computer users and using a VPN can still be a pain. And there are a lot of apps that make it easier, um, stuff like Cloak. Um, But it's still something where the average, I think the average American, the average uh, citizen of the world doesn't really know a ton about. And so that's, that's kind of what I'm interested in seeing is how, how we can make the privacy message more user-friendly so that everybody can get on board without too much friction. All right. I got one. The watch OS three has been out now for a few months. I think we all have them or, or most of us do. Has it made a difference in how you use your Apple watch, you know, with the new hardware and the new software um, are things better or worse for you with your Apple watch? I do have an Apple watch and I'd say it's made it better. Um, I, I think it hasn't been transformative as much as it's, made everything a little bit easier and faster to use. I think one of the knocks on the watch from the beginning is you should you should never feel like you're using your watch actively, right? You you should get information off of it and move on or you know a few taps and you move on. And watchOS 3 has made that a lot easier because they've used that uh that button that used to do something that I never used it for. <laughs> and now I use that all the time because it's got little apps in the dock and I can very quickly jump to my now playing app or to one of the other apps that I use regularly. And I can avoid going to the app launcher screen and uh, digging around to find what I want. And that's great. That That's that's what I wanted. So I'd say it hasn't been necessarily that transformative experience so much as it's been, uh, it's gotten out of my way a lot more, which is I think what they needed to do with it. So I'm happy that, with it. I, I guess the other thing I would say is I worry that the, um, that the apps aren't updating fast enough. There are a couple apps that I use that seem to have not been updated for the uh, WatchOS 3 uh, software development kit and and take advantage of backgrounding and lots of other features that they could. And I, I am concerned that some developers did their first shot on the Apple Watch and have now walked away and aren't going to come back. And I hope they I hope they do because the, the apps that have been updated and do run in the background and do update on, uh, on your watch complications and things like that are pretty great too. But it's a mixed bag there too so so we said this is my my 20th appearance on clockwise yes i believe all 19 preceding uh, appearances have featured questions about the smartwatch so i'll refer it to you i'll refer you all to my my response then i don't 
wear a smartwatch and I have no interest in a smartwatch. So do you wear a watch? I'm curious. Do you wear a watch? No, I don't. Kind? I don't wear any watch. I don't like things on my wrist. There's a snake on your wrist. Ah, yeah, exactly. Right. It, it Sorry about that, Phil. I asked that question. I realized I bet Phil doesn't have one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so watch OS three has made no difference. No in difference. How I use the Apple watch. <laughs> the only way it would make a difference is if they found a way to make it not a watch. Strong so, words. How about a pocket I, watch? Well, I guess that's your phone, right? Yeah, that would be my phone. All we right. call it a phone now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to have a pocket watch. Now I have an ne- iPhone. Next year we'll get you an earring. Uh, <laughs> earring. The like ring. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, WatchOS 3 for me uh, has made a difference very much so, I think, again, in my day-to-day, but not in a like – Oh, I am now using the watch constantly. I think the biggest uh, the biggest difference it's made is not stressing out about battery life. That's something uh, both on the Series 2, which lasts me, I think, a full day, close to a day and a half, um, when, even with a workout. And even the Series 1, which has a slightly smaller uh, battery, and the Series 0 lasts a little bit longer than they used to. Um, even my what, my 15, 14-month-old Series Zero, uh, which was lasting about half a day with a workout, got up to about um, 80, 90% of a full day uh, after that uh, 3 point, I think it was the 3.1 update, 3.01 update. Um, uh, the other thing that I, I just noticed in terms of speed that I no longer fiddle with my watch and go, oh, shoot. You know, I would like to do this, but it's taking, you know, 15 seconds to load Yelp recommendations. So I'm just not going to use it. Uh, and that is all gone because the especially on the Series 2 and Series 1, the response time for apps and, and Siri is just so much faster um, and more intuitive. Siri still has some problems. It's still slower than I'd like it to be. Um, and, you know, the battery, the battery could be longer, um, but... Uh, overall, I think watchOS 3 is a is a good step in the right direction. I think Apple pared down what they needed to um, while setting kind of a, a course for the future. Yeah, I, I would agree with you guys generally. I, I bought the Series 2. I went ahead and upgraded, and I'm really happy with the new hardware. So I think that improved quite a bit. I've, I've worn it in the Pacific Ocean. I've worn it you know, in the pool. I, basically, my watch just never comes off my wrist at this point except to charge it. And that's really nice. I like that. Um, I, I feel like the new operating system has removed all the friction of the watch. It, like like Ren was saying, sometimes you'd be using a watch and you'd say, wait, wait, I, I have gone down a road that I cannot finish because this is just not going to get there. Either it's going to take too long or it's just going to spin and at some point just say, eh, maybe I'm not going to do that for you. I, I don't have that experience anymore, which is way better. I think with the original watch, a lot of people would say that, it's really great at telling you the time and giving you messages and doing kind of the native built-in stuff with the watch. Whereas the new version can actually be a little bit more customized for the user. You know, using that app switcher, you can you can actually use apps. And and I think the the fact is with the original hardware and software, I felt like apps were a promise or a check that was written that was never cashed. You just couldn't do it. Uh, it was too unreliable. And now apps are reliable provided, following up on Jason's point, that the developer gets it right. I think just because apps can run on the watch now doesn't mean all apps on your watch are going to run right or be good. It's a whole different way to make an app for a watch with that tiny bit of space. And there's a couple developers that I feel like have really nailed it and a bunch that have not. So 
I'm hoping that the word gets around that, hey, you guys can make good apps now for the watch and people will put some time into to doing something innovative. I mean, I want something that we never thought of that only works because it's on my wrist. And I feel like we haven't quite got there yet, but I feel like the pieces are starting to fall into place. All right, that's four topics down. We have just enough time for a bonus topic. Bonus topic this week brought to you by Mac app developers MacPaw and their duplicate duplicate file finder, Gemini 2. This is a new version of an app released in 2016. Uh, this version employs an intelligent algorithm to help you find duplicates and similar files in seconds, letting you easily clean up useless copies while your original files remain intact. Gemini saves you space on drive and helps you have your files organized. It will discover duplicates in your iTunes library, your photos library, your external drives, and all the folders on your hard drive. And you can find out much more about Gemini 2 by visiting macpaw.com. That's M-A-C-P-A-W dot com slash clockwise. And because you are a listener of this show and have gotten all the way to the end, you get 20% off by using the coupon code clockwise. That offer is valid for the next 10 days through November the 20th. Thank you to MacPaw and Gemini 2 for sponsoring clockwise and here's my bonus question for you know you know our uh, many of us know our uh, our, our friend uh, erica ensign uh, who's on many other podcasts with 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 us uh when she's stressed what i find in my twitter feed is lots of pictures of cute animals and it's funny on election night there were lots of cute animals flying across my twitter feed and that made me think uh this week with all that's going on in the world i thought i would ask all of you what do you like better, cats or dogs, Phil? Well, up until a while ago, the answer would have clearly have been cats. Um, and then last year, we cat sat for a, um, uh, a friend of ours who was going through some medical issues and couldn't be around animals and, and gave us his cat. And his cat was the most evil uh, <laughs> beast ever conceived by in any species and one day i was down here working in my office when suddenly my internet dropped out and it was because the evil cat had chewed through the uh, cord on the uh to the the airport wireless router so um um right now i'm animal neutral jason okay. let's say that give me an otter otters are cool all right bill gets the <laughs> otter otters off the board ren oh boy um so I've been a lifelong cat person um, and had Siamese cats and Bengals my entire life. And then uh, my fiance has two pit bull dogs who are incredibly sweet and a cat. So now I am a dual animal household and I feel very conflicted in, in picking. Now think, pick a side where at war. Ah, uh, I don't. All right. So I think cats have to win by a hair. Uh, but I, I, like I have, that. yeah, by a whisker, <laughs> by a whisker yeah. but I do, yeah, but I do really appreciate, I've grown to appreciate and love dogs in a way that I have not previously. I, uh, I'm allergic to cats, but man, I love dogs. Just about all of them. Even yours, Jason, your dog is awesome. All right. So David goes on dogs. I'm going to say cats. Cause I grew up with cats, like dozens of cats at a time. Uh, we, we lived, uh, we lived out in the country and we had cats. There were cats were roaming around. And so I got to pick cats, but uh, we have a cat and a dog and I love them both. And, uh, but if I had to pick, don't tell my dog, but if I had to pick just one, 
of, in general, not those particular animals, I'm just saying in general, I, I would say I'm a cat person more than a dog person, but they're all fine. This is they're the all last fine. episode your dog ever listens to, that's I can right. tell you that. Well, if she's listening, then there's something really wrong. So mm-hmm. uh, that's great. We're done. We've reached the end. Uh, all that's left to do is thank our two guests. Phil Michaels, thank you so much for being here. People can find your stuff at tomsguide.com. They, they certainly can. Thank you. And thank you very much, David Sparks. And folks can find you at Relay FM. And is there anything else you want to plug? Uh, you can also find me at maxsparky.com. And thanks for having me on. Of course. All right, Rand, thank you so much for guesting as uh, as co-host this week. I really appreciate it. Anytime, especially if you want me on for a 20th and 21st appearance, Jason Snow. Ah, uh, yes. We're going we're gonna to push you ahead of Phil <laughs> in no time. It's a race. So we'll be back next week with another edition of Clockwise. But until then, all that's left to do is to remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.